Hi, I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. And I'm Mark Legier. And welcome to the first episode of Insights on the Huddle Podcast Network. Hi, guys. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Well, well, Don and David, um, this is your show. Uh, and I'm here to help us uh, through the first one. And I thought, um, let's start by getting to know you guys uh, a little bit, knowing about what drives you, uh, your passions. Uh, why don't we start with you, David? Uh, were you, uh, you know, a, a five-year-old, like, you know, crunching numbers and doing graphs? <laughs> no, nothing like that. I got a, I got a, a, a business degree from a school in Virginia, a university in Virginia, and then I couldn't find a job to save my life. It was in the middle of the recession back in the, in the very late 80s. So I went back and got a master's degree and then graduated two years later into another recession. So, so I got a job in government, a two-month job doing what was called spreadsheets. And I ended up uh, being the lead writer on writing the documents that Frank McKenna used, the premier at the time, to pitch New Brunswick as a location for industry. And in fact, most of the companies that landed in New Brunswick at that time, UPS, RBC, uh, uh, Exxon Mobil, uh, Air Canada, and so on, all got a, a report uh, written by me, a business case written by me, a young 20-something, early 20s. And so I was kind of hooked on economic development from the start. So my career kind of meandered through various economic development and private sector organizations. And I ended up in 2015 being appointed chief economist with the governor of New Brunswick, and I led the development of the overarching economic development plan for New Brunswick. Did that for two and a half years, and uh, now I'm back in private practice and uh, very thrilled to be working with Don Mills on this new project. And, and you're Moncton-based. Have you, have you always been in Moncton? We've been in Moncton now, uh, yeah, over 20 years. So uh, my wife and I, we started in Fredericton when I worked for government a small stop in St. John and uh, the last 20 years uh, in Moncton, yes. And you're in your home office now in Moncton, I see. Yes, I'm in a 108-year-old home in downtown Moncton. It's a beautiful old home. I have a huge office, bigger than anything I had uh, when I worked uh, in the private in other, other companies or organizations. So, yeah, it's a good good setup here in downtown Moncton. And, Don, we find you in uh, in Halifax today. That's right, downtown Halifax in the center of the urban core, which is uh, a lifestyle that my wife and I uh, adopted about eight years ago after having you know, lived in our own homes for a long time. We moved into a condo right in the center of everything, and uh, we're loving the uh, urban experience. And, and so tell me, you, you have a long time uh, interest, and you've been working for a long time in economic development, social development in the region. Uh, where, do, where do your passions lie, and where did they start? Well, you know, uh, I was uh, I was a numbers guy from an early age. I remember uh, when I was in high school, when I would go to the newspaper, the first thing I would look at would be the stats. <laughs> I think that was a giveaway to perhaps where my interest lied. And anyway, I, I ended up uh, uh, getting a, a bachelor's degree at Bishop's University. I, I was born and brought up in Sherbrooke, Quebec. And uh, went to Bishops, got a bachelor's uh, uh, of uh, business administration, uh, uh, majoring in, in uh, marketing, uh, and then I, I I ended up moving after I graduated to Nova Scotia and living in Halifax, uh, uh, knowing not a single person except one cousin. Um, and then I, uh, I worked for a little bit and, and decided, like, you know, my future was not good if I didn't get more education. So I went back and I got a master's degree, a, a, a B, uh, an MBA from Dalhousie, and uh, concentrated in marketing again. And actually, the, the pivotal thing that's changed for me is that between the first and second year of my MBA, there was a student consulting company that was sold from the second year students to the first year students. And so uh, I, I was part of a group that ran that business for the year in between the first and second uh, year of the program. And uh, we did a couple of market research projects that kind of really clicked with me. And I realized that that may be my future. And, uh, and at the same time, allowed me to get a little bit of experience of what it would be like to run your own company. So that was a really important turning point for me. And then you know, I eventually, of course, I started with a, my um, my initial partner, uh, Corporate Research Associates, um, in 1978. I'm really aging myself. I feel old. 
Um, but, uh, you know, it grew uh, over time to be a pretty well-respected national firm uh, based in Atlantic Canada. Very proud of that fact. And uh, ended up selling that after 40 years, actually on the anniversary of the 40th year. You know, I, I like that kind of some symbolism, I guess. But uh, And I was very happy to sell it to my management group. I, that's really what I wanted to do. And, you know, I continue to be interested in advocating for uh you know, a better Atlantic Canada and using data as the basis for making arguments that things should change and maybe offering some uh, recommendations about what the kind of changes uh, uh, should be made. And so, you know, the, the partnership that we have with David, I think it's almost ideal in many ways. I mean, he brings an economist point of view. I bring kind of a social behavioral scientist point of view. So we're marrying, you know, two careers, I suppose. And I think that that, that should pro- provide different uh, uh, perspectives on, on issues that we share. Now, you guys are, you know, both deep thinkers and analysts. You spend a lot of time thinking about the challenges and opportunities for this region. I know that that's going to be the purpose of this show kind of going forward. Um, but I'm curious uh, you know, about the things that keep you guys up at night right now thinking. David, uh, how about you? So I think there are a lot of green shoots. So before COVID-19, both the population in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia was growing again. Of course, PEI has been growing for quite a while. Newfoundland and Labrador has some specific challenges that we will be digging into over the course of this, uh, this podcast over the next few weeks and months. But so I would say there were green shoots. We had record levels of immigration in the region you know, there's still a ton more work to be done and there's still a lot of things that need to happen. So what keeps me up at night is to make sure that we don't see this nascent um, economic renewal in the region to come off the rails as a result of COVID-19. We have challenges with entrepreneurship. Uh, I worry that there's not enough entrepreneurs coming through the system now to, to feed the economy, uh, you know, the immigration thing, the international student thing. So my biggest preoccupation now is making sure we come out of COVID-19 this year and into next year with a very positive economic momentum across uh, across the four provinces. So that's really what makes me, uh, uh, keeps me up at night. How about you, Don? Well, uh, mine's a, a little bit different. I, I see um, our region kind of... Uh, in two ways. One, I have part of our region. One, I have not part of our region. It tends to split along urban-rural um, sort of dimensions. And uh, I think that we're, we're, we're beginning to see a growing gap between um, the, what I would call the more successful parts of our region and the less successful parts. So if you look at the six cities, uh, for instance, um, uh, in Atlantic Canada, um, they currently represent 47% of the population. And I might have this number wrong, David, you probably have the right numbers, but something like 52, 53% of the GDP. And um, when you look at population growth, uh, that's where the population is growing. Um, and more importantly, that's where immigrants in general, I think 80% of immigrants go to those six cities. So it leaves the rest of the region at some serious risk if we don't figure out how to get better distribution of not on, not just population growth, but uh, you know economic development. And and so for me, I, I think that there are ways that we can we can at least start to even the the uh, playing field a little bit for the areas outside those six cities. And um, uh, so that's uh, to me that's a big challenge that people need to start to pay a little bit more attention to. Now, people are going to be really intrigued, uh, you know, by the partnership between you guys and and what you're going to bring to this show, hosting it together. Um, Don, tell me from your point of view what what this podcast is going to to try and do in in the coming months. Well, uh, I guess I've I've seen this my whole working life that uh, you know people are making decisions without any basis or fact to make those uh, decisions. That, and that's particularly true for, um, for the general population. And, and I think we need to bring more data to the game so that people understand what the consequences are of continuing down a certain path versus going to another path. I remember this is a really a silly little uh, example, but you might remember uh, when Sunday shopping became you know, a topic in our region, 
it looked on the surface like uh, virtually everybody was against Sunday shopping. Like all everybody was coming out. Oh no, I can't do Sunday shopping. It would you know break our you know our va- family values and it would just destroy you know the society. And um, it, at that time, we decided to do a survey of the general population. And guess what? It turned out that the majority actually supported uh, Sunday shopping. And the reason that they did is that a lot of them were kind of at, like me at the time, uh, you know, um, working, uh, you know, hard during the week, not, not really enough time to get things done, have, having kids in multiple activities try, on, the, on the weekends and especially Saturday. And, and Sunday was really a good day to go out and get some of the shopping done that would otherwise not be able to, to happen. So when, it's interesting, when we got that information out publicly, it changed the whole tone of the debate completely, turned it completely around. And, and I think it was the turning point, uh, at least in Nova Scotia, to, uh, to uh, get Sunday shopping um, uh, as you know, uh, part of uh, what we could experience down here. So that's an example by you know, getting at least more information on the table. It could change the, the direction of, of uh, the debate and, and the final decision on an issue. It's, you see this podcast as a, as a real opportunity to have more conversations like that that are, that are data-driven uh, and, and truly reflecting what people want and you know, leading us in the right direction. 100%. And in fact, David just uh, uh, wrote a blog this week that I think you know, we're, we need to talk about. So you know, if you look at the non-urban areas of, uh, of this region, the, the dependency on uh, employment insurance is enormous. And most people don't understand that. And, and then and then we have a problem that uh, the dependence on, on EI programs are such that it, it's become a bit of a way of life and people don't want to actually get off EI. They like it and uh, they got used to it. And like nobody wants to talk about that in this region. It's a it's a taboo topic. And but but I think David and I would like to talk about that topic. Right, David? <laughs> uh, get ready for the tomatoes to be thrown, Don, but I'm happy <laughs> to talk about it for sure. <laughs> Now, look, Don's right. I mean, this is really about information and sharing good insight and data so that people know the facts before they jump to conclusions. So when I started in this business 20 plus years ago, I thought all you had to do, it was almost like a corporation. You had to get the CEO or the premier or the top sort of leaders uh, with the right data, and then they would make the right decisions. But the fact is, in a democracy, that's not true. It's the other way around. If you don't get the general public on side, uh, it doesn't matter, right? They're, they're going to veto it. And we've seen that in New Brunswick. We've seen that in Nova Scotia. We've seen that across the region. So I, I ever since 2004, when I started the first It's the Economy Stupid blog, have been trying to um, democratize this information and trying to get it out as widely as possible. And I agree it, that's difficult. Not everybody wants to spend their days you know, looking at the employment insurance statistics, uh, Don. But at the end of the day, if we can reach an audience of folks across the region, you know, in government, but in also in, in business, also in civil society in general, uh, they will have, they will be armed with good data and good insight from, from, from Don and myself. And then when these, you know, decisions need to get made around how do we handle immigration? How do we handle rural economic development? How do we handle natural resources development? How do we handle, uh, you know, being more efficient with the delivery of public services? Uh, you know, they'll be armed with good information uh, and good data uh, when they, you know, vote or, or when they get involved at the community in these kinds of issues. So if we can do that, if we can bring more, and that was one of the great um uh, opportunities here with 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 Don is to expand the audience. Of course, I've been for the last eight months. I've been hosting a podcast called Growing Pains, uh, and it's been a very very uh, enlightening experience for me. But you know, collaborating now with Don, we should be able to double, triple, or quadruple the audience because I know his brand. Uh, <laughs> just just kidding there, Don. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that's that's really the goal here is to is to get as much good information out to the general public and working with Huddle. You know, Huddle is a good uh, a provider of, of information, particularly in what's going on in the business community across the region. And it's you know that that's the kind of stuff. It's very synergistic with what Don and I are trying to do. Yeah, if I could just add too, because I, like you know, this is something I spent most of my working life trying to figure out. You know. Here's the question, you know, why is it that Atlantic Canada 
for 60 years or more has, you know, underperformed economically relative to the rest of the country. That bugged me for a long time. And, you know, uh, yet on the, on the other hand, we led the country in unemployment year after year, month after month, and it never seemed to go away. And I'm thinking, well, well what's wrong with this region? And then when you start to dig into the numbers, you start to see some structural uh, problems that I think are, are, are fixable if you, if you understand them. So one of the structural problems that we have is that because we really weren't attracting people to this region for a very long time, you know, we're an aging population, number one. And, and number two, we are disproportionately rural compared to the rest of the country. So the rest of the country is 80% urban versus 20% rural. In Atlantic Canada, it's kind of roughly 55% urban, 45% rural. So what does that mean? It means a lot of people are living in communities without the economic base to provide them year-round employment. And, and as I think David said this the other day, it's not that we need less rural. We need a lot more urban and 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 if you look at the population growth across the rest of the, the world really it's all happening in urban areas so if you can't support rural areas by having nearby urban areas there as sources of uh, employment and services you know the future for a lot of rural communities is really going to be um, not that great so that's the sort of stuff that i think we can dig our dig into and look at some solutions to how we protect our rural communities yet you know grow the economy across the region not just in the you know the six cities but you know there's a i think i forget what the number is but it's probably like there's uh let's say 25 urban centers across atlantic canada and to have only six of them really performing is is inadequate for people living across this region yeah so that don's absolutely right it's a particular issue in atlantic canada across the country since the 1950s the urban population has grown by 18 million, but the rural population actually grew by just under a million. It's just that the urban grew much faster than the rural. And if you look at this region, the urban and rural growth over that 70-year period has been almost the same. New Brunswick is the worst uh, in terms of lack of urban growth. Uh, Nova Scotia did a little better. But that's really a good fundamental question for this region going forward is how do we grow our urban centers, dynamic urban centers, but also what are the opportunities in rural areas? What needs to happen? Because now, because of the demographic situation in, in rural uh, Atlantic Canada, if we don't see population growth in these areas, you're gonna see many of our export focused sectors such as forestry and mining and so on, they're gonna get hit. So we're now at a point now where we absolutely have to be thinking about what happens in rural areas in addition to working on those um, urban nodes which are going to drive most of the economic growth moving forward and i mean i i love the uh you know using using the podcast format as a way of you know digging into these kinds of conversations because it is it's a long-form discussion and you know these are these are complex issues that we you know we need to with talking out in this format you know is great you know and i i, I love the kind of the marriage of you know, don your your uh you know your polling and public opinion background and and your thought leadership and you know David's economic research uh, on the region. I love the idea of bringing those things together in this in this kind of podcast. And uh, and David, um, you know, having listened to you know Growing Pains, the podcast you did on the Unsettled Network uh, for the last year, uh, you've had great interviews already inside that year. Very enriching interviews on a lot of these issues. Uh, tell me about some of the things that you you've learned through through the the chats that you've had on that podcast for the last year. So I made a point of interviewing people from across all four provinces. And we interviewed Charlene Johnson uh, to talk about the offshore oil and gas industry in Newfoundland and Labrador, which is so important. We know there's a shelf life on oil and gas development. Uh, you know, at 2050, is it 2060, is it 2070? There's some point when we're not going to be globally using oil and gas. But in the interim, we need to make sure Canada is taking, you know, its share of the global market. And I think that's really the, the driver in Newfoundland and Labrador. But I, I, so I think I would just say over that sort of period, over the 41 that I, that I did with Growing Pains, is that there is an appetite for these conversations. We, you know, I was rarely turned down when I asked people to come on the podcast. And like I said, with Don now, we just, I think we do enhance the reach. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not being uh, greedy here, Don, but 
you know, I do think it does it does allow us to to widen the audience, and hopefully, they will get value. So it will be Don and I uh, pontificating on the big issues, but we will also bring in very important guests. So it's not just going to be us. It's going to be us supplemented by by thought leaders and business leaders and community leaders and economic development types, you know, in all four provinces. So I think it's going to be an exciting format. So we need to just promote it and make sure uh, as many people as possible, uh, you know, take the opportunity to to listen and get informed about what really needs to happen in this region because it matters to us all. If you live in Chipman, New Brunswick, or if you live in Halifax, Nova Scotia, what Don and I are going to be talking about matters. And we would encourage just about everybody and their dog to tune in. <laughs> and I know that uh, you know you're in you're in Moncton, David, and 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 you're in Halifax, uh, Don. But I, you know, I know that this the pod, this podcast intends to you know touch on on all the Atlantic provinces, including PEI, Newfoundland. And I know you both pay close attention and do work in those places. Well, you know, I spent my whole career in Atlantic Canada. You know, as the base, I've. I've been almost everywhere <laughs> during that period of time. I've had offices in three of the four provinces, including in your city, uh, Mark, where I had an office for 20 years. So, you know, I feel uh, I feel that uh, the Atlantic Canadian uh, story is one that uh, that uh, you know we need to cooperate and 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 work together in some in some aspect uh, because a lot of the problems are similar, if if not the the same. At the same time, um, I have to say that there's some really good models of success that we can draw on in the, re- in the region for sure. And, you know, I just did a project for the city of St. John on, on growth strategies. And the call for proposal, interesting enough, asked for best practices, in, you know, in the world. <laughs> I came back and said, no, no, we have, we have some really good examples, local examples in this region that we should focus on. And because... They're in our marketplace. That's the best comparator is success in our marketplace. And if you look at things that are going on, for instance, in Halifax, of course, but Charlottetown, Charlottetown is <clears throat> booming. There's lots of great things going on there. At Moncton, uh, you know, lots of great things going on. So we have, we have, we can learn from our neighbors in this region, and and the lessons are actually not that hard to learn, based on on what. What I've discovered, and you know, I, I I hope that we can, we're going to have we're going to have uh, it's part of our schedule looking ahead to take a look at community development uh, because I think that every community of a certain size can be masters of their own uh, success, and um, and they have to do a few a few things to get that going. But it's uh, you know it's it's not impossible for uh, some of these communities that are not as successful as they need to be right now to figure out a way to be more successful. I don't think Don mentioned the name of the company he was he founded and run for 40 years. It was CRA, Corporate Research Associates. It has a new name now. But the thing about that company is on almost every big issue across Atlantic Canada for the past since I've been around 25 plus years, if you wanted to know what the public opinion was on something, whether it was the sale of NB Power or whatever, or even rural immigration, there'd be a chart and it would say, you know, sample of, of, of residents across the region, CRA. And so, uh, like I said earlier, Don's been taking the pulse of this population for 40 years. And so that's a pretty good insight to bring to the table. Like when we talk about big issues like rural immigration or like economic development or like natural resources development or whatever, the rural-urban divide, you know, Don has been in our heads for 40 years, so hopefully he brings some of that to the table here. One example of that uh, that people might not think about, because, you know, immigration was not on the radar screen in this region 10 years ago. Right, David? There was no real talk about population problems or challenges. That was not on the radar screen. And and then it, people finally figured out that it was important to grow the population. Now, one of the things that's, that people don't realize is that we have no experience living with diversity in this region. So uh, in Canada, um, one in four people almost were born in another country who are living in this country today. In, in Atlanta, Canada, that number is one in 20 or so. Uh, you know, not, and it's not equal across the four Atlantic provinces. There's, there's hardly any in, in, in Newfoundland and Labrador. And so what does that mean? It means that, you know, we have no experience living with diversity. 
And if you look at attitudes that I tracked over a period of time, people are, you know, they're not that welcoming. You know, we're a very friendly population, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that if you come from another part of Canada, you're still a come from away. <laughs> Think about coming from another continent or, you know, with, with a different skin color or a different language or different religion. Like we, we don't, we don't live with it. So we've got to figure out a way to be more welcoming as a society in Atlantic Canada. If we want to keep immigrants here, we're going to have to change. And I think that that's going to be a challenge. And uh, I think there's some solutions, by the way, and we're going to talk about them in, 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 as part of this series. But that's an example of understanding where the public is on an important issue, because you cannot have success on immigration if you can't change the attitudes of the population, because people won't stay. Don, we've hijacked our own podcast. I know. Maybe we should give it back to Mark. <laughs> that's what no, happens. No. <laughs> Well, one and you know, Don, it's it's it, you know, just hearing hearing you talk, it, it's 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 about being able to see the numbers and the attitudes for what they are, and and being realistic and and taking that as a starting point for growth and change, right? Yeah, that's it, exactly. I, I think it's a huge issue. I just think that you know, you you plow through on that one, right? I mean, if you look at PEI, it was probably where the term come from away originated. <laughs> and in 2010, they just sort of scratched their head and said, hey, we're going to have to attract a lot of people. And they just started attracting a lot of people. And yes, they've lost a large number that through inter-provincial uh, migration, but enough has stayed that they're leading the country in population growth, uh, depending on the year, the time frame you look at. So I think Don's absolutely right. We have to be more friendly. We have to be more open. And we have to stop questioning why would anybody want to move here? You know, when you're a region where most people leave and not as many come in, and now we've got to re reverse the polarity there, we need more coming in than are leaving, uh, you know, we need to be a little more, um, uh, you know, optimistic about our own cities and towns and communities, right? Like, this is a great place to live. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't be questioning why anybody would want to move here. They want to move here because this is a great place to live. Actually, I think the pandemic's helped. You know, don't you? I think the pandemic has shone a different light on this region. It's certainly raised the profile of Atlantic Canada in terms of how we manage the pandemic. And people are giving us a second a second look. And in fact, uh, anecdotally, you know, that there's a lot of people who are buying property in Atlantic Canada, sight unseen from elsewhere. I mean, there's all kinds of that happening. So I think that that's a really uh, positive outcome of the pandemic for Atlantic Canada. How do you guys see uh, structuring uh, the podcast and how it works week to week? You know, you know, I know David with you. the The heart of your podcast was that that weekly interview. Uh, Don, how will this uh, look different, and what will be the same about what uh, what happened on Growing Pains? Well, it's an interesting question, Mark. You know, when I first started uh, thinking about doing a podcast, it was really uh, to support the the columns I was doing in the news, the newspapers across the region. I thought it would be, uh, you know, uh, an opportunity to go deeper into the topic with some guests, perhaps. But I only thought about doing it once a month. I wasn't thinking about doing it weekly. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know how David was doing it weekly, frankly. Uh, but uh, when, when you know, and and just to to go backwards a little bit, you know, I, I sought David out for advice on setting up a podcast because I knew he had a podcast and he was very generous with his, uh, with his uh, information. And, and halfway through the discussion, he said, you know, we should do something together. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a great offer. you know, I'm, and uh, that's why we're here doing it together. So um, uh, we want to not be, you know, completely predictable you know, that it's the same format every time. So, but one of the things that we've talked about, and I think this will change, David, right, over time, is that we want to have a, we want to put some data in front of every podcast so that we provide information and data and facts that 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 will maybe set the stage for, let's say, we're, either we're doing something together on one podcast or we have a, a guest in, involved to, to, set the, to set the context of what we're talking about. And I think that, you know, that, that educational uh, information side, I think, is, will be, I hope, a part of every, every podcast that we do. And then, we're, you know, we're going to do some together. David's going to do some on his own. You know, we're going to, the three of us are going to do, uh, you know, uh, the odd one so that, you know, the variety hopefully, uh, you know, keeps it more interesting. And at least that's how we're going to start out. And obviously, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, and no, and I'm I'm also you know uh, throw to play my own my own small part in it. So uh, I'm, I'll be happy to come on uh, you know a, a podcast once a month and have a conversation 
with you guys like this. Um, you know, it's really enriching for me. It's really enriching for the huddle audience as well. And, uh, and I think it gives you guys the opportunity because obviously you have a lot to share yourselves as, I mean, I use thought leaders uh, for lack of a better phrase, but you have a lot to share yourselves. And I think there's something to be gained between conversations between the two of you in this podcast uh, format. Um, so like, I'm happy to, to come on these episodes, these episodes and, and help kind of frame and guide that conversation. And then there'll be that other side to it that'll form the core of it, which is, you know, you two having really insightful, interesting conversations with, uh, with leaders in the region. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of pivoting off of data. So I think that's really exciting when, when Don mentioned that. You know, I take the, you mentioned earlier, Don, in the, in the conversation here about employment insurance. And I just did a paper for the Public Policy Forum last year on that. I'm very familiar with that. And I think that employment insurance has been one of the root causes of our challenges over the last 60 or 70 years. If you look at, I read a paper not that long ago written by somebody about immigration into Canada after the Second World War. Canada uh, received 1.5 million refugees from Europe. And the Premier of New Brunswick said, we don't want any because we have an unemployment problem. And so this has been a common theme throughout history. In the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, we have an unemployment problem. Well, let me tell you something. The unemployment rate across this region is about five or six points higher than it would be because of the use of seasonal EI. If you're on seasonal EI, you are officially unemployed and you are showing up in the unemployment numbers. So even though they're seasonally adjusted, they are arbitrarily making the unemployment situation look much worse than it is. And, ha and it has for the last, since 1976, when they started calculating the labor force survey data. So I would argue that that's been one of the reasons why we haven't been overly interested in immigration and population growth or anything else, because we, we pretend we have this artificially high unemployment rate. And I would argue it's actually been much lower in real terms. If you looked at actually the number of people that are unemployed and looking for work, uh, that number's been much, much lower. So we've got to get beyond that. And the good thing is the federal government a few years ago realized that. Because if you look at a place like Camelton, Miramichi, the economic region there, it still has an unemployment rate of 14%. But the federal government now is prepared to allow immigration into that region because they actually they know that the real unemployment rate in Camelton, Miramichi is probably as low as anywhere else, maybe 5 6% because the rest of them are seasonal EI workers, right? So you'd have two choices. You either change the EI program fundamentally and force those people to work, which they will never do, or you work around them and you bring in newcomers that will actually work the jobs on offer. So that this is a fundamental shift. But I would argue that we should have been making the shift in the 70s. We should have said, okay, let's park the 50,000 people in New Brunswick that go on EI every year. If we don't want to touch that, if we, if we treat them as sacred, and let's, but let's realize that the unemployment rate is actually much lower and let's have different policies and different approaches to economic development in the region. So that's a provocative topic. And I'm not saying we have to deal with it today, uh, Don, but I do think that it's a good example of one of the issues in this region that we need to unpack and, and have a discussion about. And in fact, uh, you know, I think that, that the unemployment issue is no longer a problem in our region because of uh, the aging labor force and the number of people leaving the workforce is that, you know, we're not going to have an unemployment uh, issue. We're going to have a labor issue, and that's growing day by day. And even if, even if those 50,000 people that David referred to in New Brunswick don't want to work beyond the seasonal stuff, we can't think about them. We have to think about bringing in new labor for the jobs that are are not just here today, but will be there tomorrow. And that that is a an enormous channel challenge for everybody in this region. Yeah. So Cape Breton still has a fifteen percent unemployment rate right now. Right. Right. But you have employers in Sydney and elsewhere that can't find workers. So there is an issue with employment insurance, and I think the my goal would be to shine a light on that. But also to say, look, if politicians don't want to touch it, let's find other solutions. Let's grandfather people in. Let's do whatever we need to do. But I would argue that's been a, a millstone around our neck going back since, since after World War II, this obsession with unemployment. And because we had such high seasonal industries around the region, uh, it has distorted, I think, the unemployment picture. That's not to say there wasn't real unemployment in certain pockets, early 90s, late 80s, 
you know, parts of the 70s. But right now, as Don said, we do not have a structural unemployment problem. We have a lack of workers problem. And Don, have, have public attitudes shifted over the decades in terms of their outlook on, on employment, their outlook on immigration as a part of that? Well, there was some shifting over the last three or four years towards more acceptance of people coming from elsewhere. I think that, you know, we're seeing that happen slowly, which I think is a great sign. But we still have the living with people of from different parts of the world problem where, you know, the difference between being friendly and welcoming, if you're welcoming, you invite people into the, your home and you they become friends. Uh, friendly is saying, you know, not saying anything mean to them. <laughs> you know, we've got we've got to get to the welcoming side. No, obviously in this, in this first podcast, we're doing, you know, a couple of different things, right? We're introducing you guys, uh, to your audience and we're talking about how, how the show is going to work going forward. Um, but I can't, because I have the two of you here and I might not get to talk to you again for a few weeks. I want to keep kind of picking your brains on, on, on some issues. Um, and you know, one, one that I want to touch on with you guys is, um, and I'll start with you, David. Uh, in your view, uh, you know which which of the four Atlantic provinces in the, is in the best shape right now, going forward economically. Yeah, so I think just in general, it's Prince Edward Island. Uh, they've done a, a really good job of of um, of understanding what the issues were, whether it's the, some of the key sectors they focused on or population growth in general. I'm not saying it's been pretty. You know, there's been a little bit of uh, challenge in terms of retaining some of the newcomers. There's been challenges. They've got a real housing problem. I was just looking today at the average uh, weekly earnings. They've led the country for income growth uh, over the last 10 years, faster than any other province, including BC or Alberta, in terms of average weekly wage growth on PEI. So on the one hand, that's good, but you don't want to necessarily overheat. The last thing you want is PEI to be the most expensive place in Canada to do business, right? So I think there's some real issues there. I think they've done a great job. I think since the Now or Never report came out in Nova Scotia a decade ago or whenever that was, I think they have started to slowly turn things around. I think that was a real turning point for Nova Scotia. I think New Brunswick was the the laggard among the Maritimes. It only really started to get serious in 2015 when I joined government. No, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, That's what I uh, just kidding about that. And then, of course, Newfoundland and Labrador, which is so dependent on oil and gas and mining, you know, and they've, they've had some interesting other things around finance, uh, t- fintech and things like that, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But th- it's a very I- interesting situation in Newfoundland and Labrador. They've got the largest public debt over there on the provincial government. They've got other structural challenges, even worse than the Maritimes. Uh, but they are... Uh, uh, you know, they're a fundamental part of Atlantic Canada, and we will be including them in our discourse, in our discussion in Atlantic Canada. So the short answer is PEI, number one, Nova Scotia, number two, New Brunswick, number three, and right now, unfortunately, Newfoundland and Labrador, number four, in terms of economic prospects in the short term. What about you, Don? Do you have the same uh, ranking system? Uh, It's absolutely the same. The only thing I would add is that, you know, I think Newfoundland and Labrador are... uh, uh, near near the precipice in terms of uh, viability, uh, I would say that uh, they're they're technically bankrupt right now. They don't have the ability to pay back all the debt. If you include, I think it's fourteen or fifteen billion dollars of provincial debt plus the, I don't know, is it twelve billion for Muskrat Falls? You know, so they're up around twenty seven billion dollars of debt. Their population is shrinking. Uh, you know, close to getting closer to 500,000 people. Like you do the math, do the math on that and tell me how, how they're going to be able to survive without intervention from the federal government. And they've been postponing it, postponing it, hoping for a miracle. And I don't see it. And, and I don't know how soon it's going to happen, but it will happen when the bond raiders finally say, Look, ah, you know what? We can't risk lending you any more money or, or, or we're going to lend you money, but it's going to be very expensive money. And, and they're starting to see early signs of that now based on recent stuff that I've seen. So, you know, that's a big jeopardy for the people living in that province. It's one of the reasons why people are moving away. They, don't, they actually are, are afraid that the future is not that good for, for living in that province. And it's really, uh, it, it really needs a lot of, uh, uh, you know, attention to turn that around. So I would say, Don, in 
sort of historically is even m- much more interested in sort of provincial fiscal issues than I am. It's an issue that I have concern about, but I'm not as concerned as, as Don. But I would say the current interest rate environment is masking that big problem. So the, the total debt in New Brunswick has doubled in the last 12 years. The total debt, the actual amount of money the government of New Brunswick owns, not including NB Power. But because interest rates are so low and they're rolling over a lot of that debt at two and two and a half percent, even maybe slightly below 2%, the actual debt servicing costs are lower now than they were 10 years ago. But if interest rates go back up to five, six, seven percent uh, for the provincial government, it will double debt servicing costs from 600 million to 1.2 billion potentially in the same situation in Nova Scotia PEI. And as Don said, even a worse case in Newfoundland and Labrador. So everybody, everybody better cross their fingers around interest rates because if they go up, it's going to mean a lot more of the tax dollars going to service these large debts around the region. So there's a, a disincentive right now to tackling it, but it could kind of come back to haunt us. I think some people believe this low interest rate is going to be with us forever and, and good. If that's the case, then then we can manage servicing that debt. But uh, if interest rates go up and we have to start rolling over this debt at higher interest rates uh, across the region, it is going to be a barrier because, it, right, we can't really raise tax rates anymore. Uh, you know, we're already at the high end for the country and for North America in terms of personal and business taxes. So where are you going to get the money? So Don and I are going to be arguing we want to have organic growth. We want to have economic growth, GDP growth, and that will uh, uh, grow organic tax revenues to pay for public services. We, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, Newfoundland and the challenges that they face, um, especially with the depends on an older economy. And I think of some of the things that are happening in, in the different provinces that are, you know, new industries, right? You, you have like fintech and you have, Cannabis is another example. Um, could industries like that help in places like Newfoundland in particular? I'm thinking of like the recent success of Verifin there. Like, are there some bright spots? No, there's there's lots of bright spots. Like uh, we talk about PEI and uh, their bioalliance uh, sector has been gangbusters. Uh, I think they've, uh, they started in 2005 focusing on that sector. They now have, uh, I think, over 2,000 jobs, mostly around the Charlottetown area, by the way, high-paying jobs that are attracting immigrants to that province, which means that they're going to likely stay. And uh, I forget, if, I think they're approaching maybe uh, $400 million, mostly of export dollars. Like, it, So think about it. PEI, the smallest province in the country, creates almost 2,000 jobs in Charlottetown. That is enormous. So if little Charlottetown can do that, little PEI can do that, it means having the right strategy, you know, concentrating on the right cluster. If you look at what's going on in Halifax, the ocean, uh, the ocean cluster is really starting to, it's starting to, starting to happen. And, uh, you know, so every, every community, every, every province needs to figure out where they concentrate their efforts and start to get some critical mass going. And uh, I know that we're going to talk about economic development. It's one of my, it's one of my pet, uh, I guess, topics in terms of how well we've done economic development in this region. And I would say not well. Uh, and uh, we, need to re- we need to think about different ways of doing economic development and uh, to be more successful. So there's lots of success stories of, of changing the nature of the economy, making it a much more you know, job knowledge kinds of jobs, uh, uh, knowledge jobs, and uh, moving away from the traditional, uh, even seasonal work that's still important to this region. Now, I know that um, obviously we've you know, touched on a, on, a, on a broad range of things here, um, and we'll keep revisiting these issues in the coming weeks and months. Uh, can you give us a, a bit of a, a look ahead at some potential uh, episodes and things you might cover? Well, you know, uh, we will be releasing uh, kind of the first eight or nine sessions, and we're trying to do them sequentially. You know, we're going to obviously look at topics like, uh, you know, a little bit more in population uh, growth and immigration, which is so important to the future of this region. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, economic development uh, from, a, from a provincial and community uh, standpoint, and also looking at it from a rural point of view. Uh, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to have, uh, you know, two or three episodes on a topic 
So it's a bit of a series, a mini series, just so that we can build and go deep on, on, on each of these topics. And then we'll get into maybe uh, the next uh, sessions after that. We'll look at some cl cluster strategies that are working. We referred to the what's going on in PEI in Nova Scotia, but there are others that we want to talk about as well. And uh, we will be uh, advertising that, I guess, uh, uh, so that people can see what's coming and, and hopefully you know build an audience based on the topics that are coming and the and the fact that we're doing deep dives, if you will, uh, in terms of some of these uh, topics. And and for you, David, uh, this has got to be a lot of fun, right? Like you you've done some great interviews over the last year, and uh, you're going to be you know carrying on the conversation uh, with Don. What are what are you looking forward to? Yeah, we're going to talk about economic development. We're going to talk about downtown development. We're going to talk about making sure communities are are open and re and good receptors for attracting population we haven't really had to do a lot of that over the past 40 or 50 years right there's not been a real focus on attracting people because we've had this quote unquote high unemployment problem so we need to have beautiful communities li highly livable communities uh, with strong social networks with that are very welcoming and opening and so we're going to be talking to people about how you do that so yeah i'm very excited about it it's a uh, it's a personal um, um, passion of mine and Don's, and hopefully we can share some of that passion and some of our insight with the with the uh, with the audience. And on a final note, tell me about how you guys see your audience. Who who do you think uh, you're attracting? Who would you like uh, to bring into the show in terms of uh, you know that listening audience? Well, uh, you know, mostly family and friends to start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think uh, uh, each of us have. Uh, a following. Um, we want to tap into the people who follow us anyway, because uh, both of us are doing commentary. And uh, in my case, writing columns for the newspapers, and in David's case, writing the blogs and, and, and doing his own podcast. So you know, we have we have followings, I suppose, uh, each of us I hope to tap into that. And, and if I look at people or follow me, they tend to be across the gamut. Uh, but generally speaking, there are people interested in, in um, public policy issues. It could be from the public sector, the private sector. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that we can get a lot of decision makers or people who can influence policy, um, you know, because we want to, we want to make them uh, better uh, informed to make better decisions. So, you know, I, I guess that that would be, I, I, I wouldn't see this as a, a, as a general public podcast that would, uh, you know, gather a lot of interest because of the topics that we're covering but you never know i hope it is uh more open to the general public i mean people have a choice right i listen to a lot of podcasts you have podcasts on cooking and sports a lot on american politics and a few on canadian politics and you know as i said earlier this is about what's going on in your backyard in this region so i would argue that that you know this is relevant to local mayors to local councillors to business leaders to anybody in community development and i would say you know general public i had one fellow he's a friend of my son's who came up to me and said i listened to every single one you've done i mean this is a guy you know 22 years old so i i would argue that you know people should make a little bit of space in their podcast universe for a podcast like this and that's the case we'll try to make and if the content is good hopefully they'll keep coming back and we will encourage people to tell us what they'd like to hear too right i think don over time we're, we're we're open to feedback on what people would like to hear related to this theme of how we grow a prosperous region in atlantic canada and if we can get a large uh, and varied uh, audience then we can start advertising Sussex beard oil and other niche products and make a little money. No, just, just kidding with that last thing. <laughs> I, I, I also, I'm hopeful that we attract a younger, a slightly younger audience than typically might be the case. I know if I look at the followers that I have on social media, there's a, there's a fairly significant portion of people who are interested in the region, who are young and see their futures here and, and they want to make sure their futures are bright. And so I think the level of engagement of young people will be uh, an important sign for us that we're we're being successful. Yeah, that's a fundamental issue. Like Don and I were both there when the Hindenburg went down, so it is important. <laughs> well, I uh, built it, be... and you flew it. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is important for us to get younger voices involved, and uh, I tried to do that a bit with with Growing Pains, and I think yeah, moving forward, 
we want them listening. We also want them engaged in uh, in the actual podcast as well, because that's the next generation, the millennials uh, and the Gen Zs. They will carry the torch here and they will you know, be fundamental to a prosperous Atlanta, Canada. And when I know myself to, you know, through through my podcast that I do um, home office, but also through the work that I've done with Huddle over the last few years that, you know, making this conversation about economic development and growth, you know, a mainstream conversation. Um, you know, somebody gave me a, a great compliment um, about Huddle once, you know, saying it, you know, is about Main Street business, you know, meaning it's accessible, understandable, um, a conversation that a wide variety of people, different ages, you know, different cultural backgrounds, um, different types of, of jobs, or, you know, they're entrepreneurs or employees, that there, there is a place where they, we can all kind of gather and have these kinds of conversations about carrying the, the communities in our region forward. And, and that's why, again, I go back to something I brought up with you guys early in this podcast. It's part of the reason why I was really excited too, about this idea of bringing you two together in, in this kind of format, because you have that kind of that marriage of data driven analysis with having, you know, a finger on the pulse of the attitudes of the people in the region through for decades, right? And and I think there's real power in bringing those two perspectives together um, with you guys. I know one thing that I've always found that when I hear people uh, repeating back to me facts that I have made public, that that I'm starting to reach people in a, a meaningful way, and so. I'm I'm hopeful that that uh, that there'll be signals that people are listening to the data and then starting to incorporate that data in their own arguments uh, to make uh, Atlantic Canada a better place to live. David, any any closing thoughts from uh, from you? Uh, any look aheads for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, I've actually seen Don let his hair down and make a few jokes. And so I think this actually might be <laughs> kind of fun, too. You didn't realize so we'll, I'm such a funny guy, really? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I mean, it's not exactly going to be, uh, you know, the the ex-Saturday Night, Night, Night Live com- comedians trying to make a buck on podcasting, but it should be fun. So we'll, we'll keep it light. We'll keep it interesting and hopefully um, engaging for the audience. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun, guys. I'm I'm looking forward to it, and and we'll look forward to the the second episode uh, next week. Thanks for hosting. You've been listening to the first episode of Insights on the Huddle Podcast Network, hosted by Don Mills and David Campbell. Mark Legier and Sharice Letson helped produce this episode. You can subscribe by searching for Huddle Insights on your favorite podcast platform. Now, we care about what you think, so please give us a rating and a review. Don and David will be back next week.